Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and on tonight's show, we're gonna look at a number of stocks that really have had a shocker this year and we ask our experts, should you sell this before June 30, take your losses, use those losses to reduce your capital gain, and then maybe think about buying them later on when they start showing a bit more promise. The stocks I'm gonna be looking at are AMP, Lendlease, McPherson, Pure Foods Tasmania, Pushpay, and that controversial Newix. Taking the, uh, the first shot at these will be Julia Lee from Birmingham Invest, then Adam Dawes of Shaw and & Partners, and then I've got Michael Knox, the Chief Economist at Morgans in Brisbane. Michael's one of the smartest guys around when it comes to econometrics. He's the guy who told us when the Aussie dollar was around oh, 65 cents, 66 cents, that it would be heading off towards 80. Because high is about 70, 78, nearly 79. Now it's dropped down to about 74.55 US cents this morning. When I interviewed Noxie, Michael Knox said that a dollar is going to go back up into the 80s. He's still pretty confident about that. And I've got to say, his um, form when it comes to things like the dollar and markets is pretty damn good. Finally, Paul Rickard, he's going to look at the fact that term deposits have now hit their low. The interest rates are low uh, and are on the rise. Paul's going to look about uh, the kinds of uh, investments out there that you want to put money in to get fixed income returns and which ones look good and which ones look like they're worth rejecting. That's the show. Let's kick off with Julia Lee. Well, it's that time of the year when people start thinking about dumping stocks that really let them down. I've given Julia Lee a list of ones that... Uh, you know, someone I know very well has uh, had them stuck in their portfolio and, and wonders whether they should get rid of them. So none other than Julia Lee to review these. Julia, good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too, Pete. Okay, let's kick off with a well-known one, AMP. If you held AMP in your portfolio, would you hang on to it or would you sell it and use the losses? <sighs> it's a hard one because AMP in its business, we know that... Uh, still there are outflows. So funds are leaving the company, which of course isn't a great place to be. But the only reason that you'd be holding on to AMP is because it's up for sale. So you'd be hoping that AMP capital gets a good price. And in that AMP is probably worth about $1.50 um, and it's trading just below $1.20 at the moment. So mm. look, there is potentially some upside there. Of course, the longer they don't get a bid, the less the company is worth because we are still seeing institutional mandates leaving the company, they're losing staff. So the longer this drags on, the more painful it gets for AMP shareholders. But I think for the time being, you'd be holding out, um, still hoping for a bid because that's what they're looking to do. Okay, let's go to Lendlease now, a good company. Um, you know, it changed a, a lot of its, um, its internal work. You know, I think at times you've liked Lendlease, Julia, is that right? Yeah, I mean, Lendlease is one of these ones. I like the idea behind it, the urban renewal projects. It has some really high profile projects going. So looking at uh, one Sydney Harbour at the moment, the Tower 2, um, but we haven't heard much of an update. Um, they have a major project which should be uh, sold. They were looking at, at an anchor tenant um, before they looked at a sale of that one over in Docklands. Um, and we haven't heard much around that. And of course, we still need an update on one Sydney Harbour as well. So this reporting season, we should see an update coming through from Lendlease. This is one of those companies that scares me. It either blows the lights out or it comes out with a downgrade. Mm -hmm. And of course, behind mm -hmm. most of those downgrades has been its engineering division. But hopefully we see the residential property 
part really propping up its profits this time around because we know that the residential property part has been strong. I'm a bit more worried about more of its office type of assets because yeah. I've been hearing around the traps that we that um, there are tenants which are decreasing floor size, even in areas like Barangaroo where it's premium office space. So, mm. look, I'm probably neutral on lend lease here. I'd probably be more comfortable buying in after reporting season and getting an update on some of its major projects. Yeah. A company like McPherson did well during the lockdown, lost its CEO. Have you got a view on McPherson? Ah, oh, so looking, this is an unusual one. So looking at a skincare company, it has manicure products as well. So if you have a look at the distribution print, it's mostly through pharmacies. So if you go into pharmacies, you can find a lot of um, McPherson's products in there. Um, but also they have been exporting to China and to other places in Asia. And unfortunately, their sales have been coming under pressure because of that China link, as well as that Asia link, which has been the weakest link, I think, in terms of its sales. Now, they have seen takeover offers coming through in the past. And the most recent one was at $1.60. The company, while doing due diligence, I guess, decided to walk away from that bid. And as a consequence, we've seen the share price falling back down as well. So look, I think this is is probably one that's a bit more of a COVID-19 recovery play. Uh, certainly, if they're able to see earnings bounce back and sales bounce back, then you, you'll see a, a pretty strong dividend yield. So you're getting in early if they recover. But, you know, beauty is one of those areas that usually quite consistently grows and is still a pretty defensive sector as well. So, look, um, at these levels, it does look pretty risky, but I'd be willing to put a little bit of money in here. Okay. Let's go to push pay now. Oh, sorry, Pure Foods Tasmania, PFT. Yeah, I, I, I love pate and I love food, especially mm, yeah, from Tasmania. That. You know, some <laughs> of the best dairy, steaks, lobster, seafood in the world. Um, but I have to admit, Pete, I haven't seen this one. Um, it is a smaller play. Um, so I, I don't really have a view on Pure Foods. Okay, let's go to push pay, PPH. Yeah, I think Pushpay, um, you know, it did really well because it was winning these big contracts out in the US. But I think it's really saturated that giant church market. So now you're looking at them having to uh, sign up smaller churches, which I think is a more difficult and expensive task to do. So I think the easy hanging fruit has already been picked here. I'd probably look for other opportunities, given that um, it is going to be harder to find the type of growth that they've seen in the past few years, where they were uh, signing up those mega churches so when you're moving on to mega churches to regular churches unfortunately there's not as much cash in there and of course you have to do a lot more footwork to try and get um, to the level that those mega churches were as well yeah. so probably a pass probably yeah. x um, peak growth for me yeah and also a lot of those smaller churches um, pastors or reverends probably want to see people actually walk through the door and put the money straight in the the can or the plate rather than have it all registered online but that's just me thinking that well that's the other thing with COVID-19 church revenues have to have been impacted I mean yeah. there's less people being allowed to go to church a lot of the time because of COVID restrictions as well so I don't know Zoom's not exactly the same when it comes to that emotional connection you sometimes Correct. need to to part with that um, hard-earned cash yeah. Now the last one's a very easy one um, to, to explain. Newix. <laughs> yeah, Newix 
still looks like it's coming under a bit of pressure. I think the tech space in particular is an interesting one because in the month of June, tech has actually, I think, been the best performing sector or one of the best performing sectors. So for a lot of investors, the big question is, do they jump back into tech now? And I guess the link here is with underlying interest rates. What we have seen is yields falling. And of course, growth does really well when yields are falling. And we've seen that once again today where the tech sector has outperformed despite the market falling around about 2%. Mm. So if you were investing in the tech space, I'd probably go with the best rather than the worst. Newix is the worst at the moment. So this is more of a bet. If you're a betting person, put some money in there. Um, but just be aware of where interest rates are headed because the growth sector of tech really does follow um, interest rates. And if interest rates are falling, it's great news for the sector. But if they start to climb, uh, bad news for the space. Mm. So from your point of view, if you were invested in UX and you'd lost money, this is one you'd be happy to sell before June 30. Yeah, I'd probably be looking at some losses. I mean, stocks that I like at the moment are ones with like tail uh, winds coming through. So I like G8 education because of the strength of the jobs market means that more people will be looking for childcare, still looking relatively cheap around that $1.03 mark. If you're looking for a takeover play, I'd probably prefer Iris to AMP. Um, only because, you know, it is expanding in terms of the UK. It does have leading positions in some of its products. And although its major product here in Australia and New Zealand has been declining, there is still some potential there from a technology perspective. So, look, um, I think there there are still plenty of options in terms of the market at the moment. Yeah, and a mate of ours, Michael Blomfeld, is the CEO of Iris nowadays. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> My old boss. Yeah, I don't know if he wanted, wanted to be taken over. Anyway, great to talk to you, Julia, and we'll Thanks, talk to you next week. See ya. Bye-bye. Become an annual Switzer Report subscriber and get unprecedented access to my seven investing principles where I reveal the exact strategies I use to invest. You'll get access to an exclusive PDF, video recording, and even a free copy of my book, Join the Rich Club. With a 30-day money-back guarantee, a Switzer Report subscription is one of the wisest investments you can make towards your future. Find out more at switzerreport.com.au slash YouTube offer or click on the link in the description below. Well, we're in June. A lot of people sell off in June, getting rid of those stocks that have lost money on to offset some of the stocks that have made money and they can effectively reduce their capital gain. Then some sneaky people then turn around in July and buy them again. Uh, uh, but we let's concentrate on the stocks you might want to sell because they've let you down. Adam Dawes is going to run through a number of stocks I've put, put to him. Adam, thanks for coming to the program. Thank you, Peter. How are you going today? Very good. Well, the market's down today, but I just think it's kind of, well, I think it's ridiculous. Let's talk about this quickly. I just think it's a yeah. rid ridiculous reaction to someone with an attention deficit disorder, namely James Bullard, who said, oh, no, interest rates might rise in 2022 and the market then overreacts. Look, I mean, we've had such a fantastic run over the last three, four weeks. Like, it, it, it's okay for the market to pull back a little bit. It's okay for the market to have some kind of breather. And this is what happens. It takes us three weeks to get up. It might take us a couple of days to get down. But all in all, everything is still intact. So I've had plenty of phone calls today clients asking me about what do I do? Where am I going? What's the market doing? I said, look, calm down, relax. This is normal part of market movement. So I'm really happy with what's going on today. It's yeah. exactly what we need. Yeah, buying opportunities will emerge, right? I agree. I agree. Okay, let's go, go to the first 
I call them a dog stock. I love dogs. Dogs are yeah. better than human beings. So let's talk, call it a human being stock, AMP. <laughs> like, like most human beings, AMP has let us down. Yeah. Should, we, should we sell AMP and, and just use the losses to offset our capital gains? Yeah, yes is the answer. I don't think you can really, uh, you know, I've been fairly vocal in the press about this one. I think you don't need to be holding this one. This thing has got a long way to go to the downside. Uh, look, even if they do sell off some of their uh, parts of the business, even if they do come out and sort of talk about, you know, what they can actually do, look, I don't think this is one you want to own. And it's really a great time to take some losses here before the end of the financial year uh, and, and then move forward. So, yes, it's a sell from me. Yeah. Let's go to Lendlease now, a company that's a good company and a lot of good, good uh, potential developments yeah. out there, but the market doesn't seem to want to get cosy on Lendlease. Is it, is, it, is it a stock that you might sell in June and maybe July or August, think about buying it again? Yeah, it's not a bad call, actually. I mean, I think that the market has a chance that Lendlease could miss their full year 2021 forecasts. And if they miss that, then certainly this thing will continue to, to move. They, you know, the market's sort of thinking that 2021, they're sort of looking at sort of profit around 500 mil, which is broadly within line with expectations of the market. But if they do miss, and they could miss by around 100 to 150 mil of, of, of profit, then yes, this, this stock could, could you know, be sold off even further. But one of the things is, is that we certainly see this one as being, uh, you know, the Barangaroo. They've got some fantastic projects going forward, even the Google sites in the US. This one's actually one that I think that you'd hold on to. I think that this thing can do very well. It has been sold down on their engineering division. Now they got rid of that engineering division. Now uh, I think the market's just got to gain a little bit of confidence with them. It is in the bit of the naughty corner at the moment. Uh, I'd probably hold on to this one, Peter, if, okay. uh, you know, going forward, I think you should uh, be mindful. This, these guys can come back pretty quickly if need be. Now, here's a company that did really well in the uh, lockdown period called McPherson. The CEO had, had high hopes and the CEO then got the bullet uh, and the company has not recovered. Uh, does McPherson have potential upside or is it just a, a lockdown stock? Look, it is, it's a sell. Uh, our analyst covers this one. He's put a sell on it. He's, in fact, he's got a valuation of $1.54, which is above where the share price is today. However, it is still a sell from our side of things. I call this the third draw company. Everybody has something in the third drawer of this one, whether it's the cellophane or whether in your bathroom, you've got the hairbrush or those kinds of things. This is the third drawer business. Um, look, I think this is quite cyclical. Um, that you know it is below uh, I think this one had a takeover offer on it as well so um, you know I think it's it, it's, a, it's a little bit below what we think I think it's a sell from me I don't think you need to be in this one and you, there's better value elsewhere on that one okay next one PFT is pure foods Tasmania isn't it yeah it is it's a it's an interesting one. I mean, obviously, they've got a fairly large growing customer base across their distributions uh, across Asia uh, and, and whatnot going forward. And they have sort of forecast revenue, albeit from a very low base revenue uh, or sales revenue for 2.1 million up about 35%. And, uh, you know, we are looking across strong revenue growth going forward. Um, this is a bit of a tough one. It's a smaller one for me. It doesn't look too bad on the charts, to mm. be honest. 
Yeah. Um, look, I, I think it's okay, this one. I, I believe that this one should do all right. I think it does have a growing customer base. I think you'd hold on to this one. I think they've got cash in there, about $2.7 million as well. You know, uh, look, if you own it, you probably hold on to it. I don't yeah. think you'd be selling it uh, this side yeah. of June 30. Yeah. It looks like a reopening stock to me. You know, when you get all the, the foreign tourists back and they want to yeah. eat Tasmanian food and all that sort of stuff, that's interesting. Right? Let's go to the next one. Pushpay. Pushpay is an interesting company, isn't it? Yeah. Had, had a lot of people that loved it for a while. It's sort of linked into the American re re revivalist church fraternity, isn't it? And, you know, uh, it's a digital way of these churches getting uh, the, the collections that usually go around the plates on Sunday. Yeah. It, it hasn't lived up to potential, has it? No, the, 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 the book growth or the loan book growth or the front book growth is what we call it, uh, has been materially softer than first forecast. And then the back book growth has, hasn't been enough to offset some of the slow growth on the front book. So a lot of brokers have downgraded their indications or return, uh, they've downgraded the, the, the return or the opportunity for that cross-selling because look, it's a fantastic sort of idea. You know, mm. I mean, instead of cash going through the, you know, when you hand the tin around as such, uh, this is all sort of online kind of thing. And look, you know, the, the, I guess this is what we, we, we worry about with these tech stocks because it's got a great story. It's got a great purpose, but then can actually revenue actually then come through. And I think that's what the issue is, is with these ones, is that, you know, from the dot-com boom, where we saw these fantastic business, but revenue didn't come in. I think this is exactly the same. I think customer growth has been disappointing. Management spoke to earlier positive indicators on how they're going to do that, but it is really sort of, it hasn't really held up to the name. I know that there are a couple of brokers that have gone neutral on the story. And I think, look, I'd follow those brokers. I think that this, this one is probably a sell here. Um, and, um, you know, basically wait till this thing finds a level and then come back into it. But look, the story is fantastic. I just don't think you need to be there in the short term on this one. Okay. And finally, the very controversial news. You've left, you've left the best till last, haven't you? Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good story. Like, like uh, I could not come near this company when it was $11 or whatever. But once they started selling it off, yeah, I went in. Then more bad news came. But I still think it's a very good company. It's just that the management were hopeless and there were a few... Um, sort of dead bodies buried in the business story that the prospectus didn't really underline effectively. But I'm trying to get past this and I'm thinking to myself, is this a company I sell now and maybe in a couple of months time I, I buy in again? I don't know. What do, what do you think? New yeah, I don't know either, to be honest. I mean, let, let's, let's 100%, let's be honest. Look, I think Newick's leadership needs an overhaul. And I think that's, in, that's the first necessary step into getting to market confidence back into this stock. Yeah. The departure of the Newick's chief executive officer and chief financial officer are necessary to restore investor confidence in this investigative analytics software company. Mm -hmm. I think such an overhaul as quick as it can be, but soon after the IPO, IPO is highly unusual but it does represent a constructive step forward in, in making sure that this base, as this business starts to move forward. I think near-term revenue and earnings remains fundamentally positive for the software business. 
And I think, you know, if you still hold it, I think you'd hold it. I don't, I don't see any, well, I mean, uh, depending on where you bought it, I don't see, you know, there'd be any issues, but I really want to see um, them conducting a review on the business and defending or, or, or at least coming out and saying, this is something that we, that we we're comfortable with. And I think management needs to go basically. And I think they need to get some more experienced people in the board to uh, take this going forward because there has been so many disruptions going forward and really ASIC have come in and they'll probably do some more investigations on this business going forward. So look, fundamentally, I think the business is sound. I think it's a great idea. I just think you need to get rid of management because they haven't been able to run this business ongoing going forward. Yeah. One last one before you go. I, I must admit, I, I was always sweating on a comeback for tech stocks eventually but were you surprised how quickly tech stocks have come back? Yes and no. I mean, you know, we, we sort of saw the, the sell down from tech and the values starting to move higher. We yeah. sort of saw, bear, uh, not bash, but we saw the banks, you know, Commonwealth Bank getting to a hundred bucks, $106. You know, yeah. you probably thought that value trade had sort of come off. Then we saw uh, Altium getting a takeover bid. Uh, I think there's something else that got a takeover bid as well. You know, that's the sort of the bottom feeding guys taking opportunistic when the share prices are lower. You know, I mean, this market is pretty efficient. So, you know, uh, yes and no is the answer to your question, Peter. I, I, I think it's well-deserved that this this overall, these tech stocks have started to bounce back because there's fundamentally, there's some fantastic businesses in this market yeah. and uh, they deserve the premiums that they've yeah. been previously had. And I think the bottom line for me was when they were really being smashed, I thought these are businesses of the future. If you can buy them at low prices, and I, I should say, let's give you a bit of praise, both you and Julia liked out him a few weeks ago before yeah. the takeover offer, yeah. which means that you're not wasting our time. So thanks very much for coming on the show. <laughs> lucky, lucky, hey? Eh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Thanks for joining us, Adam. All right, take care. Thank you. I want to talk to you about the Switzer Golden Ticket promotion. Yes, our marketing department has been working overtime to come up with something great, and I think this is great. How would you like to win a free one-year subscription to the Switzer Report with all the great stock tips that the report produces on a weekly basis? Well, we are giving you, our loyal audience, the opportunity to do just that. From now until June 30, with every purchase of my book, Join the Rich Club, which is 50% off until the end of the month, you'll enter your chance to find a golden ticket. Yes, a golden ticket, and you will win a free one-year subscription to the Switzer Report. So if you're a current Switzer Report subscriber and you find one of these golden tickets, then we'll just add another 12 months onto your existing subscription for free. How good is that? We've got five of these to give away, so get in and good luck. Well, today the Aussie dollar is at 74.55 US cents and uh, the man who called it absolutely right a year ago uh, Michael Knox from Morgan's is joining me now. And I want to know whether he's called that it would go all the way into the 80s is still on the cards. Michael, thanks for joining us. Uh, good morning, Peter. Uh, and thank you for putting me on this spot right now. And I look <laughs> forward to being put on exactly the same spot this time next year. Yeah. Uh, the simplest way to, uh, to unwind uh, the Aussie dollar is... Uh, uh, that we've always thought of as a commodity currency. And if you go and you look at the RBA, 
index of uh, commodity prices, uh, you'll see that uh, they're up uh, uh, in US, uh, in SDR terms, uh, almost 40% in the last year and metals and bulk metals prices are up uh, 50% in the last year. And if you put that into a model together with um, uh, the relevant interest rates, Australian interest rates and US interest rates, you get a fair value of, uh, uh, in the high 80 cent, in the high 80 cent level, let's say 88 cents. And, uh, so that's where the fundamental value is. I mean, uh, these are commodity currencies. So the question is, why, why is it sold off uh, in the short term? I think there's a whole bunch of plausible reasons. The most um, frequently talked about is the Fed, there's the last Fed meeting. Uh, but, I, but I watched that Fed meeting in, in real time and I, uh, and I watched it, uh, I re-watched what uh, Jay Powell said a couple of times. And he didn't intend to tighten monetary policy. Um, uh, and he explained in a number of uh, questions that he wasn't tightening monetary policy. Uh, they weren't changing the pace at which uh, they were buying assets. They weren't uh, going to change uh, the Fed funds rate uh, before the end of uh, 2023. The dot points uh, in the survey, the summary of economic projections did show that rates might go up by 50 basis points in the second half of 2023. But that's more than two years away. And as Jay Powell himself said in response to uh, questions that uh, when he himself joined the board uh, uh, as a as a ordinary member, as an ordinary member rather than chair, uh, at that time it was thought that uh, according to the summary of economic projections, rates would go up in two years' time, and they did absolutely nothing. So he went out of his way to show that that didn't actually mean that uh, the Fed was on any tightening cycle. It didn't announce that, but um, the market has reacted as if it did. Uh, now, hang on, hang on, Are you trying to say seriously that people with economics training such that they get on the board of the Federal Reserve can actually make a mistake about interest rates? Is that what you're trying to argue? Well, I don't think that, no, I think that the people who are reporting mm. on what Jay Powell said have put a spin on it that wasn't what he intended. That's no, what I think no I'm talking about the other people with their, their dot points, you know, guessing where the interest rates will go up and when. Like, that's, that's like trying to pick the winner from the, of the Melbourne Cup, which you're actually quite, quite good at doing, but you don't get it right every year either. So it just seems to me that, it's a, a ridiculous reaction by the market, but we expect that. We see ridiculous reactions to the by the market all the time because short-term influences are far more, far more important than long-term influences on the stock market. But I think the, the most important question I want you to answer today is given all the, all the crap that we've seen over the last week around interest rates, do you still think that the, the Aussie dollar will creep into the 80s over the next six months or so? Yes, absolutely. And uh, as I say, the simple way of supporting that case is to uh, uh, ask people to go and look at the RBA website and look at the chart of the uh, export commodity prices and see the way in which it's rising rapidly in exactly the same way as it did in the last resources boom. 
and the last resources boom, as we uh, recall, generated much higher levels of the Australian dollar. Now, it is obvious that the RBA is trying to slow that rise in the Aussie dollar. Mm. As we've said before, uh, the uh, RBA will be able to, will be able to uh, break the rise in the Aussie dollar, will be able to slow it, but not stop it. Uh, yeah. It's just that commodity prices are far too strong. Yeah, and, and Michael, it seems to me that America, uh, the, the monetary authorities in America, haven't been as aggressive in saying they're going to fight interest rate rises as, as Dr. Phil Lowe has been. Because Phil Lowe has been re-emphasising 2024 on many occasions, which, which gives, belies his actual name. Well, they said, no, he's consistent with his name. His name is low and he's keeping interest rates low. If his name was Dr. Phil High, he would be allowing the dollar to go up higher. Peter, can I use that one? Can I you, use that one? You can have that one. But as long as you credit me, so Switzer Cameron's one first, he's ripped me off on plenty of occasions. But all right, so, but that, and that to me is the difference between after the GFC when the Aussie dollar did go up to about $1.10, $1.12. The Reserve Bank wasn't fighting hard against it like Phil Lowe has been. No, absolutely the case. Yeah. Absolutely the case. But also I think uh, what I saw in the in the reaction to the Fed meeting from the from the journalists that were in the room, uh, there was one question were, which was uh, to Jay Powell, which was, uh, but if and it started with a but yeah, but if you add up these numbers. These the inflation numbers that are in the summary of economic projections for the next three years, on average, they are above your target of two percent. And Jay Powell looked almost tired when he <laughs> answered the question. He said, "Yes, uh, if you if you look at what we started saying at the end of last year, we said that we would allow inflation to run above the target for a for a significant period, hmm. and that is what we are doing." And I think uh, that the the journalists were shocked to find that the that the Fed actually meant that about running inflation above the level for for a time. And if I if one looked at uh, the inflation number for this year in the summary of economic projections um, that the Fed released last week, it's three percent. If you have three percent uh, inflation and you don't move short rates, well, what you are doing is you are cutting the real rate and you're providing more support, not less support, you're providing more support to the expansion over the next two years. Yeah. Uh, but he also explained things like he talked about, asked, was asked questions about and talked about the, in, the employment recovery in the US. He said the recovery is very, very strong, but he pointed out the participation rate is about 0.3 of a percent lower than it was uh, in 2019. Uh, and that's for a bunch of reasons that people are out of the workforce because of uh, high unemployment benefits or they can't get their kids uh, into public schooling, which hasn't opened for, uh, you know, in-person schooling until uh, about, about August. And that meant that uh, there was a lot of people providing childcare for their own kids and when everybody went back to school and everything became normal, those those people could return to the workforce, and that would release that that problem that was people asked him about in the workforce. But he was talking about how strong it was, and he was talking about how 
the Fed really wasn't changing uh, policy any time in the next couple of years. Hmm. So let's talk about inflation quickly. Uh, a lot of people are being shocked at the numbers they're seeing for inflation. Are you firmly in the camp that this is going to be temporary, transitory, and then inflation will fall? Well, we've made the same point that Jay Powell, has, that Jay Powell made uh, in answer to questions about this on uh, last Thursday morning our time, uh, Wednesday US time. And that is that what's happened is that in core inflation, there are a couple of things which are uh, include things in the automotive industry. What I've said about this is you've got high inflation because the US economy is literally moving again, moving again. <clears throat> and you've seen a dramatic acceleration. Uh, he talked about uh, the dramatic acceleration in used car prices. And there's also been a dramatic uh, acceleration in higher car prices. Now, both of these things, we remember the oil prices fell down to absolute zero last year. Mm. And, they're, and they're coming up from a very low base. But also things like uh, used cars and higher cars collapsed to close to zero price and are coming up from a very low base. He said those things are adding to core inflation right now, but that will disappear. Yeah. And if you actually look at the last two monthly numbers, the, the inflation number for the previous month was 0.9. The inflation number for the most recent month is 0.8. So you, you can see this peaking of, uh, of US core inflation that Joe yeah. Powell is talking about. Yeah, and, and obviously I've done two flights recently, Adelaide and um, Cairns. Uh, if I'd uh, inquired six months ago, they would nearly beg me to, to buy the ticket at a really low price. You see the price they're charging you now, they know you're desperate to travel and they're charging you accordingly. But in six months' time, once we've all been jabbed, if we are all jabbed, I bet you those ticket prices will be a lot lower and there'll be a lot more competition. I guess that's true. Noxie, thanks for joining us, mate. Thank you, Pete. Well, I'm joined by my colleague, Paul Rickard, who's taking a bit of a look at term deposits, interest rates, where they're going, and other fixed income investments. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. Now, you've written a piece today for the Switzer Report. What's the guts of your conclusion? Well, first of all, the good news for term deposit investors is that rates have bottomed. <laughs> but they're not going up anywhere quickly. So, so if you're happy with 0.3 or 0.4% if you can find it, well, you know, you're stuck with it. I mean, the Reserve Bank will push up interest rates, but and it will be before 2024. It will happen, yeah. I think, towards the end of next year or maybe sometime in early 2023, Peter. Mm. But that's still a long time to, away. And for the next 18 months, you know, we've got... Uh, when the Reserve Bank continues to buy three-year government treasury bonds at 0.1 of a percent, it means it's very hard for to get, get much of a return and the banks won't need to uh, get too aggressive. So you're going to have to take on... If, if you're not happy with term deposit rates, you're going to have to take on some more risk. So you're going up the risk curve. So where do you go after that? Well, let's sort of deal with what I describe as the least risky to the most risky first. Okay. So I've, I've sort of got four categories of investments. The first one are what I describe as the traditional bond funds. So they're basically investing in either government or or you know investment grade corporates. Yeah. So state governments. Federal yep, government. state governments, federal government, of course, is the biggest borrower of some major corporations, all investment grade. Yeah. Um, and uh, look, not a lot of return because the key number to look out for there is what's called the yield to maturity. It's typically in the ones, 
right? Mm. Uh, if you're lucky, you know, you, if you go for some investment grade corporates, you might get towards about one and a half percent, but the returns are pretty low. The other risk you take on, and of course, in these sort of funds, and you can buy them on the ASX through a lot of the exchange traded funds, all the major issues, people like Vanguard and iShares and BetaShares have got them, mm -hmm. is that if they have what's called a very long duration, that is the, 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 the type of bonds they're buying have a long term to maturity date, you actually take on quite a lot of interest rate risk. So if the interest rates go up and bond yields go up. Which, which is the tip now. Though. Yeah, you can see your capital value go down. So I would still keep them reasonably short because I think longer term bond rates are still going up. Yeah. That's what's likely to happen over the next decade. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you can look at things like from, uh, things like I-Core from, from, from iShares and uh, uh, Vanguard's got a similar product. Just stick to the investment grade corporates uh, and try not to go too long in terms of duration. So that's, that, that's pretty, a little more risky, but not super risky. Um, the second option is look at some of the bank hybrids. So these are the uh, sort of what are called the capital notes that the major banks issue. They count as part of their capital, and that's why they're called, given a name as a capital note. Mm -hmm. But they're really like uh, I describe as a floating rate sort of note, an, an interest bearing security. Now, they're not government guaranteed. And if we have a major banking crisis or one of the major banks has a big misstep, you could lose some capital. But you're not going to make any more. So they're not like a share. You're not, you're not going to put in $100 and get $150 back. It just doesn't happen. You won't get any more than what you put in up so, front. Right, so, so your capital hopefully will remain stable, but it might not. Um, but what kind of returns do you Yeah, so the current return grossed up is about 3%. Now, that includes franking credits. Uh, and, uh, Which so makes them really more. No, 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 no. That, that includes, includes the franking the credits. So okay. the cash return is going to be about 2.1%. Okay. And that's floating. In other words, it's going to reset every 90 days. And uh, if interest rates do go up, that rate will go up. Yep. Okay. Plus, they'll be fully franked. So a gross return of 3%. I don't think there's a lot of risk on these. There's ANZ currently has an offer on the marketplace. If you're an ANZ shareholder, uh, or you've bought an ANZ capital note before, you can go to the ANZ website and apply directly. Closes on the 30th of June, uh, or you can buy them on the secondary market. So a little more risk, but uh, they're a little complex. And uh, as we always say, tr don't invest in something you don't understand. Correct. So uh, yep. there's good information on our website. You can go to the ASIC website, the Money Smart website from ASIC, and learn all about hybrid security. So that's category number two. Yep. All right, Paul, let's go up to the yield curve to the next level of more risky, but fairly good um, investment. Yeah, the next category, and there's a bit of equity in this, but this is what I'd describe as a, as a, as a listed infrastructure funds. Now, we have some securities in Australia that, ha that are essentially single asset or in a very small class of assets that you can get involved in Australian infrastructure. Things like Sydney Airport gives access to Sydney Airport. You can buy Transurban, it gives you access to a lot of toll roads. But we don't have a lot of infrastructure funds that just invest in Australia, mm. mainly because the pool of assets is pretty small. Right. And so, but there are some uh, Australian listed assets on the ASX that, that invest in global infrastructure. Yeah. And the two biggest providers are people like Magellan, which has what's called the Magellan International uh, Global Listed Infrastructure Fund, trades under the ticker of MICH. Mm. And also Argo has. Uh, Argo has a fund called the Argo Global Listed Infrastructure Fund. And these funds buy infrastructure assets around the world. So railways, toll roads, airports, utility stations, power stations, mm. uh, from some of the biggest providers across the world. Typically have between about 40 and 100 securities in their portfolio. Uh, they're generally hedged back into Australian dollars, so you're not taking a lot of currency risk. 
And you should accept a, a reasonably steady sort of capital performance, a bit, a bit of risk, and a return of somewhere between about 35 and 4%. Now, it's not going to be franked, so you have to pay tax on it, and there's going to be some risk in the share price because, you know, we saw... Markets can fall. Markets can fall. And so even when falling markets, like when you have a, you know, like a, what we saw last February, March, when we had the... Uh, the Coronavirus the, the crash. Corona crash, you know, lift infrastructure assets also fell in price too, mm. as did a lot of property trusts. So, look, I, I like both of these. There's Magellan, there's one from Argo, which trades under this ticker ALI. There's also one of the, uh, I think Vanguard's also got a, an ETF that tracks a global infrastructure index. So, more up the risk curve, higher return, but relatively stable on the capital. Mm. And then the final category, Peter, are the listed credit funds. Now, there's about eight listed credit funds. So these are funds that are investing, again, globally in the securities of, uh, of corporates, but these securities tend to be of lower quality. In some cases, they're not investment grade, so they're from lower ranked corporates, or they can be things like mortgage securities or, uh, or developer loans. And there's about eight listed credit funds on the ASX, people like NBI, which uh, we're familiar with, Newberger Berman. Yep. There's also KKR, there's Perpetual's got a fund. The things Metric like Qualitas, Metric Partners does a lot in terms of the real estate. Here your returns are going to be between about, your distribution return between about 4 and 6%. Um, and your capital can go up and down. your capital go up and, and not just your capital but also because the market value can change quickly. So we did see in, uh, as I said, go back to last February, March, some of these funds lost 40 to 50% you know, within the space of a couple of weeks. Mm. Largely recovered at all since. Mm. But uh, you know the price can go down, and in many cases where it was trading on the ASX didn't reflect the underlying assets. It was just that you know it was a bit of a fear factor, and yeah. sell everything. People sell everything, right? Yeah, yeah. So there is more volatility, um, and again, you know, you probably wouldn't want just one fund. You'd want to diversify across a couple of managers mm -hmm. to, to spread some of that risk. So. I think there's a role in every portfolio for some riskier fixed interest, mm. but you are going up the risk curve. There is more risk of loss. Uh, there is more risk of price volatility up and down. Uh, and But that's what you need if you want to take get a higher return. Okay. Well, where does a Switzer higher yield fund fit on that risk curve, Paul? Yeah, look, that probably sits somewhere between in the first category, Peter. It's investing in very investment-grade corporate securities only, and, yeah. I, and I excluded that, just to be in fairness. So, yeah. so you so were biased, but I was just I, interested to see yeah, where, you, and, where you placed that. And that trades under the code of SHFY, so yeah. it's a higher, SHYF, sorry. Oh, Shife, I call it. Shife, <laughs> got that well, didn't <laughs> I? Uh, and that's investing in, in just in a very investment grade and, and government securities, and generally very little interest rate risk, so yeah. it keeps it very short. So definitely in the first of those four categories. So yeah. uh, that's one to look out for there as well, Peter. Yeah. Okay, that's Paul Rickard. If you want to look at that report in detail, have a look at the Switch Report. Go to switchreport.com.au. Finally, before we go, let me invite you to register for the Small and Microcap Conference on tomorrow. Click on the link in the description below. You'll see some interesting companies where the CEOs will describe what the outlook is for their businesses. So once again, click on the link in the description below, and I hope you can join us tomorrow.